Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Genesis chapter 22. And this is a familiar story of of someone who obeys God through faith. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, which can be found on page 16 in your pew Bibles or page 31 in the large print pew Bibles. But before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word which you have given to us. And God, we ask that as uh, this morning, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would open our ears, God, that you would soften our hearts, that the, um, that the message would not go in one ear and out the other, but that it would go uh, deep into our hearts and in our lives, and that we would go out of here this morning different people than we came in, more and more conformed into the likeness of your Son, by your Word and by your Spirit working in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 22 says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to the servants, he said to his servants, "Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you." Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up And there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Turning then to our New Testament lesson, Matthew chapter 14. Verses 1 through 12, which can be found on page 795 in your pew Bibles, or 1523 in the large print Bibles. Matthew 14, 1 to 12. 
says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison. Okay, no, I'm, I'm good. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, those are both some pretty intense stories. I don't know if you noticed that. And, uh, and we're looking at people who actually had faith, who trusted God, and the ways in which, uh, in which that turned out in their lives. And actually, this is kind of part two uh, of a sermon <laughs> series kind of we began last week looking at Hebrews chapter 11, which is really this whole Old Testament survey, looking at everything that happens in the Old Testament. But instead of uh, telling all of the stories, it just sort of mentions a lot of the people from the Old Testament and shows what they all have in common, which is that they were all living by faith. And so you see that repeated again and again, by faith this, by faith that, by faith so-and-so did this. And we've been defining faith as following actively, I trust him. Following actively, I trust him, F-A-I-T-H. And uh, this is what we see people doing over and over again. It's not just that they believe certain things to be true, but that then, because they believe certain things to be true, they live differently than they would have otherwise. Because now they trust uh, God is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do. I mentioned a story uh, a year or so ago about a time we were at a uh, shooting range for a uh, hunter's education weekend, and that one of the high school students there simultaneously got the highest and lowest scores at the same time. That's what simultaneous means. The highest and lowest scores of the day. It was not the only person to shoot. (laughs) But what happened is, as he hit the closest to the center bullseye of anybody every time he shot, which would have given him the highest score of the day, it was revealed as he walked up to the targets that he had actually been aiming at the wrong target. (laughs) And so on his target, zero was the final score. And so even though his aim was true, his aim was straight, and he hit exactly what he was aiming for, he got zero because he's aiming at the wrong thing. And as we look at what it means to have faith and to trust in God and how that works out in our lives, I think it's very important that our aim is not just straight and true, but that it's on the right thing. That our goal is the right goal. 
Because if it's not, all the straight aim in the world doesn't matter. And so when we look at someone like Abraham, who has his son uh, basically restored to him, we'll see here in a little bit, or as we look at somebody like John the Baptist, who ends up not escaping prison, you see Paul and Silas, they you know, praying in prison, and the walls shake and they get released. But here we have John the Baptist in prison. No miraculous intervention, no miraculous prison doors flinging open. Nicely done. But instead we have the order for his head to be cut off. And he dies. And we say, well, no, what's going on? I think it all has to do with where our aim is and what it is that we see as being the point of our lives uh, at all, but especially as our lives as Christians. So picking up this story of the Old Testament as we go on through, we're going to pick up in Hebrews chapter 11. If you uh, were not here last week, certainly read the beginning of uh, Hebrews 11 at your earliest convenience to get the full story there of this Old Testament survey. But picking up in um, verse 17, we're talking about Abraham. First half of the chapter, we made it through the first 12 chapters of the Old Testament. And so now the rest of this chapter, we have to get through the entire rest of the Old Testament today. Here we go. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the head of his staff, on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of the of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. What a great line. Because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, They were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? 
I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies, foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and persecution and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. That's where we're going to end for today. Although, the real um, therefore of all this comes... In the next chapter, we'll see that next week. But with this survey, as I mentioned last week, as you go through something like this, it would be great to do an entire series just focusing one week on each of the people mentioned. We can't do that today. We would be here till next week. So I'm going to hit some of the highlights, which is all this is doing anyway. Hitting the highlights so that we get the... The big picture. We don't miss the forest for the trees. We're going to try to see the forest. And the idea is that all of these people, it's not just that they were moving the plot of the story along that God's been telling. It's that all of them, as they were doing that, were doing so because they were living by faith. They were trusting God to be who he is and to do what he says he would do. And therefore, these things happen in their lives. Therefore, they move on and they do these things. And so, for example, that first one that was mentioned today, Abraham, the one who is trusting God. It says, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now, just to bring you up to speed on what in the world that means, God had promised Abraham that he was going to have... He was going to be the father of nations. He was going to have offspring that would be so plentiful. And God had told him, it's through Isaac that that's going to happen. And then God says, now I want you to sacrifice Isaac. So in sacrificing Isaac, the question is, does he really trust God? Does he believe that God is still going to fulfill the promise that he's made? Even if Abraham obeys. Because Abraham has a choice at this point. And a lot of times what we see the choice as being is, you know, do I love God more? Do I love my son more? That's the choice here. But actually, the choice has to do with, do I have to understand how God is going to fulfill his promise before I can obey? When God says, kill Isaac, and Isaac is the only one through whom the whole promise comes, If Abraham kills Isaac, does that kill the promise? Does that kill the possibility 
of these future generations that God has promised to Abraham. And what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is, Abraham knew that there was nothing he could do that would undo the promise. And so, when God says, kill Isaac, through whom the whole promise comes, Abraham says, I don't understand it, but I don't have to understand it. I just have to trust that you know what's going on. And that if you say, the promise is through Isaac, and I want you to kill Isaac, you know what you're doing. And so, it says, he reasoned that God could even bring Isaac back from the dead. He could raise the dead. So maybe that was what uh, Abraham is reasoning. That, well, he's going to have me kill him, but then he'll bring him back to life because it's got to come through him. He knows it's got to come through him somehow. But he knows there's nothing he can do that's going to stop God's plans and God's purposes. And so, he might as well do whatever it is that God has put before you to do. And so this is, that is Abraham. We're going to hit another one of these highlights here. Um, where we have, well, you hate to skip any of it because it's just so good. We're going to skip all the way down to uh, Jericho. But boy, I, I do just want to do a series through all of it. Uh, <laughs> it may come in the near future, I don't know. And verse 30, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. The walls of Jericho fell. This is when the people of Israel were getting ready to go into the land that God had promised them. Finally. They had been on the outside for 40 years because uh, the first spies that went in, the ones who were trusting God, got outvoted. And so 10 of them said, Don't trust God. Let's trust our eyes. And two of them said, trust God no matter what. They got outvoted. And so everybody stayed outside of the promised land for 40 years until everybody who was 20 or older at that time had died. Except the two spies who had trusted God. They get to go in. One of those being Joshua who actually leads the people in. And in fact, the way that they go in shows how much they trust God. Like that is the whole uh, scenario that gets played out as they go into the promised land. It is not a, uh, it's not God strengthening their military men who then go in and just show how strong they are. If that were the case, they would have sieged uh, Jericho the way that cities would get sieged. But they didn't. Instead, they did something that doesn't make any sense from a military standpoint. They marched around the city, and then they went home. And the next day, they came and they marched around the city again, and they went home. And the next day, they came and they marched around the city, and then they went home. Why? Why are they doing this? This is not any sort of military strategy. This is entirely because they are trusting in God who said, this is the way you're going to take this city. You march around the city for seven days. And then on the seventh day, you march around it seven times. And then you're all going to give a big shout. And I'll bring the walls down. Do you realize that on day six, they've still seen nothing happen? That on day seven... As they're making their seventh lap around the city, 
They'd still seen nothing happen. And yet they're still marching. And yet they're still getting ready to shout. Why? Because they're still trusting that when, it, if, that when it comes time, that God will do exactly what he said he's going to do. And that their part is to continue to trust him and to be faithful and obedient in what he's called them to do. And sure enough, they cry out, the walls fall, and they are able to take Jericho. And so begins the conquest of the promised land. But it's all about living, trusting God. Which then brings us to those last two sections. Two sections where it's really important that we know what the purpose is. Because here's the deal. He says, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about all these other people. I know the feeling. I do not have time to talk about all these people. But their stories are worth considering. And so it just summarizes how these people throughout the entire Old Testament, we have story after story after story of people who, who God worked in mightily. They saw miracles performed. We see the people, uh, especially like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when these people are actually in exile, but they're refusing to worship the foreign gods. And we see you know, Daniel in the lion's den. He gets thrown in. But the mouths of the lions are shut, and they don't eat him. That's what you would expect. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and so they get thrown into the fiery furnace. But they don't burn up, as you would expect. And so you see God intervening and protecting his people in these miraculous ways, and it talks about the ways in which they were... Uh, you know, they shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames. They escaped the edge of the sword. And so as you're reading this, you think, okay, this is what life is like. If you're trusting in God, this is what happens. You just go along and you trust in him that no matter what comes along, he's going to protect you from any damage or harm physically. And if you stop, if you stop in verse, at the end of thir- verse 35... That would be a completely understandable way of reading this whole passage. Because it's just detailing one after another of ways that God has worked powerfully in these people's lives. But then, if you read on verse 36 and following, uh, well, the end of verse 35, I guess, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. Detailing the ways in which they were killed in unpleasant ways. And what is that all about? Well, we know that these are also people who were trusting in God. It says these were all commended for their faith. Both those that God rescued and those he didn't. They were all commended for living by faith. They were all trusting in God. Some of them were rescued. Some of them were killed. Some of them did not have to undergo torture. Others did. What in the world? Well, as verse 35 says, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Better resurrection? Are some people's resurrections better than others? Well, it had just said that women received... um, 
Where's that line? Women received back their dead, raised to life again. That's the better resurrection. In other words, like when Lazarus was raised from the dead, he was raised for a time, but he's going to die again. The better resurrection they're talking about is not that we get raised to life again right here now, but we are raised to a better resurrection. We are raised to a new life in Christ forever with uh, life with God in new bodies and a new heaven, new earth. That resurrection, which is so much better than even being released from a prison now, even being released from, uh, from death now. Because it all has to do with what the goal is. See, sometimes, sometimes winning looks like winning. Sometimes winning looks like losing. And here's what I mean. When that uh, high schooler hit the wrong target, it looked like winning, but it was really losing. But what if you did the same thing and everybody was watching the target that they thought was the right one, but it was the wrong one, and you missed it every time you shot? They would think you had just lost until they found out that you'd actually been aiming at the right target and so really you'd won. Making sure we know what the goal is changes the way we perceive everything we're going through. Question number one in the uh, Westminster Catechism, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the purpose of our life? What should be the goal of our lives? The answer? To earn a lot of money, live to an old age, and die a comfortable death. Wait, no, that's not right at all. But how often do we live like that is the answer? That that is the goal of life? To earn lots of money, grow to an old age, and die a comfortable death. Now it says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So the question is, can that be done? Can you glorify God by being miraculously released from prison? Yeah. Can you glorify God like John the Baptist by being beheaded in prison? Yeah. Sometimes winning looks like winning in the world's eyes. Sometimes winning looks like losing. But what we have from the very beginning, from all this uh, stuff in the Old Testament we've been looking at, is this living by faith, the trusting in God, knowing that no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, if we're trusting him, we win. And there can be no other option. There is no losing, at least not if we have our goal set right. There will be times when it looks like losing. I'm sure you all have seen recently the news reports of persecution that are going on around the world um, of Christians. And um, 
I heard actually that there, with all the persecutions that there were under Emperor Nero uh, years and years ago, that there were actually more Christians killed for being Christians last year than there were during his entire reign as emperor. And so a lot of times we look at persecution of Christians and we think, I'm glad that doesn't happen now, when really it's just, it doesn't happen here now. But it does happen now. And that has certainly been highlighted for us recently uh, all over the news. But there was also a story uh, related to this where and maybe you saw this as well, where one of the brothers of uh, two of the men who were killed for being Christians went on a radio program and explained that he was uh, thankful to ISIS, not for killing his brothers, but he was thankful to them for not, um, not muting the audio as they were killed. So that he could hear, he and his family could hear their confession of faith in Jesus Christ, their trust in him as Lord, even as they were facing death. And so in their death, they were still glorifying God. They were preparing to enjoy him forever. And so while those who come from wherever they come from and have throughout the generations to try to persecute and destroy the church of Jesus Christ, through violent means. It hasn't worked yet, and it can't work. Because what looks like losing can sometimes be winning if we understand what the goal is. If our goal is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, then we can live by faith, trusting that Jesus has already done what it takes to make that happen. And we can live by faith in that. And that's really the question that we have. You know, sometimes we look at people who are being killed for their faith and we, have to, and we ask ourselves, you know, am I prepared to die for my faith? While that may be a helpful question, I think a better one is this. Are we, right now, prepared to live the rest of our lives, however long or short they may be, are we prepared to live the rest of our lives by faith? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.